Hello, and welcome to BIA's Leading Local Insights podcast, where we focus on trends, technologies, and activities driving local media advertising. I'm Nicole Ovedia, VP of Forecasting and Analysis at BIA, and I'm pleased to be the host of this new episode of Leading Local Insights. Today, we're going to dive into all things CTV and OTT, and we're going to ask and answer questions that we get often here at BIA. Joining me today is Rick Ducey, BIA's Managing Director and our resident expert on all things CTV and OTT. Welcome, Rick. Hey, Nicole. Great to be here. First, before we dive in here with Rick, let me share a few things from our forecast to give our listeners perspective on where OTT is in terms of the local advertising ecosphere. In 2023, U.S. local advertising forecast published by BIA is projecting that local ad spend on OTT will be $2.4 billion. It's a really big increase over 2022, up 12.3% and up $260 million year over year. Another interesting data point is that though is that throughout the pandemic, which I'm calling, let's say, 2019 to 2022, OTT ad spend grew at a compound annual growth rate of 35%. Absolutely incredible. Plus, we're seeing key local advertising verticals like supermarkets, QSR, and legal really moving and allocating significant dollars more and more from their local over the air to local OTT. So all this being said, it's very important to note that In comparison, OTT ad spend is still really relatively small when you compare it to TV over the air. But still, OTT is an incredible growth opportunity within local advertising, and that's why we cover it and why we're digging in here today. One last thing before I pepper Rick with a whole bunch of questions, I'm going to ask and answer a question myself. How does BIA define local and how do we define OTT? Great question, me. I'd love to clarify. BIA defines local as any ad spending intended for the market that it ran in. So this means we do not include network spending, but we do include every dollar that was meant for that market, regardless of if it was purchased through an agency or through a rep firm. Essentially, we cover your local and your national lines, but not your network line. And our definition of OTT is advertising that is locally targeted and included on streaming video delivered to TV sets via internet connections. So this includes both IP set top boxes, such as Apple TV, that receive signals from digital video ad servers, as well as USB and HDMI multimedia devices, such as an Amazon Fire Stick. We separate out OTT from other digital because it is so important and it is an emerging media. Okay, enough about me. Rick, let's turn to you. It's time to put you on that hot seat. First, let's start with 2023. First and foremost, which verticals do you expect to be investing the most in OTT in 2023? Yeah, so Nicole, you're right. I mean, there's a good chunk of money being spent in in local CTV, uh, which may be on the order of 10% or so of total CTV spend, much of which, as you said, is directed um, towards national brand campaigns. Um, but but good money, and it does vary by the different business verticals. So some of the top we're seeing outside of the auto industry, um, uh, you'll just pick on a few others for 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 this session. Um, legal services is about a quarter billion, $244 million uh, forecast spend for the different kinds of legal services. Hospitals, about the same amount. And then supermarkets and grocery stores um, coming in under 100 million, uh, about 87 million dollars. Um, so those are the, in terms of absolute dollars. Um, some of the biggest ones we're seeing 
committing some of their campaign spending to um, local CTV. Another way to look at it is relative. Who's who's moving more money into CTV campaigns? And looking at it year over year in terms of um, uh, dollar increases, uh, legal services will put that at plus $27 million, um, hospitals plus $20 million, and in the restaurant category, QSR, quick serve restaurants, um, an additional $15 million. And then um, in addition to these fastest growing categories year over year, uh, television broadcasting and networks, uh, tune in advertising, come watch our programs, please. That's uh, growing 62.4%. Um, also in the media category, performing arts uh, will be spending 54.6% uh, more. And um, amusement parks and arcades uh, on the theme that people are finally getting out of their houses in scale, they're going to up there and spend 42.1%. It's really interesting. I mean, a lot of those verticals, they're very in line with what, you know, is being spent in over the air. And so, you know, some of it leads me to, OK, similar verticals that are shifting dollars. Um, but when I'm watching OTT and CTV um, and, and the ads, uh, one of the things that does jump out at me is all of the you mentioned QSRs, but it's also the food delivery. And that makes so much sense. I'm sitting there on the couch. Yeah, I'm hungry. You like Burger King. Bring me my Burger King even easier. And so that's the kind of things. Uh, are those the kind of um, uh, emerging verticals that you're seeing first move to CTV, uh, the ones that make the most sense while you're sitting there watching? Or uh, are we surprised by what we're seeing there? Um, there's a little bit of rhyme and reason, um, but it's hard to really pick a pattern and say this is it um, when you look at business verticals. Sometimes within the vertical, it depends upon the brand and the campaign and even the product. Um, and then across verticals, what we're seeing is advertisers and their agencies that are more data centric. Uh, maybe some of the generalizations are e-commerce and D2C um, companies that are used to marketing digitally and used to digital um, driven tools for targeting and attributing campaigns and optimizing their campaigns. So some of the some of the categories like auto is very digital centric, um, tends to gravitate towards CTV. Um, CTV, so that's kind of one use, the ability to use data and digital tools now targeting a big TV screen. Um, the other trend in terms of who's, who's using CTV are people that are used to using linear TV in their campaigns, broadcast and cable, uh, but with cable fragmentation, uh, cord cutters, so many networks, and even with linear TV, um, you know, it's hard to get a one reading anymore. So if you have a campaign, um, an agency coming around a campaign wanting to get 500 or 1,000 GRPs in a week, <clears throat> it's hard to do that these days. So you have to go to more different video sources. And CTV brings that big TV screen, so you get premium content and engagement plus data and tools that, that you get with digital. So it's sort of maybe digital native brands that are used to working with digital and are like, wow, now I can target the TV. And then brands and campaigns that are used to targeting TV, but it's like, I can't get the weight in, in a one week period just on linear. I need to go to CTV now. Right, That uh, wow, that answer right there, just sent me in 10 different directions. So I've got a bunch of follow-up questions. First and foremost, I keep asking about OTT and you keep answering in CTV. Are we using those terms interchangeably? What's the difference between OTT and CTV? It goes to the great translator garbling machine. Mm -hmm. um, there's a little <laughs> bit of legacy to OTT and CTV where most of the conversation centers now. 
Um, at first, when we could do video over the Internet, astonishing. I, I, cool. I can watch moving pictures on the Internet. Uh, and so anything that could connect to the Internet that had a screen that could display some kind of picture, uh, that's TV. And it's coming over the top of something else, over the top of your cable broadband subscription, but you're not getting a paid cable service um, mm. like you would kind of in a quote-unquote old days. So OTT is um, something capable of displaying moving video, uh, a smartphone, an iPad, a game console, um, you know, a TV set. What ended up happening is in terms of ad spending, um, well, I can target a small mobile screen. I can target, uh, you know, a Game Boy screen, but I can target a TV set and have all these data and digital tools available to me. And viewers started to say, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I can watch my favorite shows on my smartphone um, on the soccer field while my kids are getting mangled. But I actually just want to watch this at home. Most even viewing on smartphones was in-home. And if I'm in-home, why not watch the TV set? So what's happened is that the viewing, the impressions that get generated as targetable ad inventory, most um, of that premium content is viewed on TV sets, maybe 90 plus percent. And wow. so if that's where most of the impressions are, uh, clearly that's where most of the ad spend is going to be targeted. So OTT is the overarching category, video over the Internet, uh, over the top television. And then within there is a subset. I'm watching over the top TV on a TV set, on a connected TV, a TV connected to the Internet. So that's where 90 percent plus of the impressions in premium video are and where 90 plus percent of the ad spending is. And so. We're kind of slurring this a bit. What used to be OTT, but now we're saying is OTT-ish, but it's actually CTV, and at some point we'll just call it CTV. So we're kind of in transition with those two terms. Some and people use them as synonyms, but it's really CTV for the most part. Yeah, I appreciate that clarification, and I wonder if there'll be a bifurcation, or you know, if OTT is actually going to go in a different direction. Maybe those non-CTV impressions will grow; they'll be used differently. Maybe we just haven't evolved yet and figured out the best way to serve up ads on non-television connected screens, if you will. Well, that's a vibrant part of the market, and you know, we just we define premium video, sort of the CTV and OTT as distinct from display video and digital. Um, mm -hmm. It's longer form, it's premium, um, and again, mostly it's viewed on the TV set. But other ways of what you can watch Hulu or Netflix or Disney or um, you know your local TV station's news um, on your phone, we also call it OTT. <clears throat> so it's, it's, um, it's a specific market as a, a value proposition in terms of the premium content and longer form typically defined as 20 minutes or longer. Uh, versus uh, display video ads, which we would we classify not in OTT, but in digital. Uh, right. Digital video to us means short form, typically non-premium uh, content, either in-stream, um, like it's a pre-roll or mid-roll or post-roll uh, spot, or out-stream, like you go on through a web page, all of a sudden video starts talking. Uh, those, those are what we classify as digital advertising, even though they're video and can be watched on anything. Excellent. So let's change gears and talk a little bit about how effective effective ways that advertisers can use CTV. Before you were talking a little bit about frequency and using CTV for frequency versus reach um, and whatnot. So we're often asked, uh, what's the best way 
to UCTV and frequency together. Uh, most advertisers aren't looking for 50,000 different people to see an ad just once. Um, they also don't want the same person to see the ad 50,000 times. So how how do you recommend an, uh, an approach for using CTV for a, a balance between reach and frequency? Yeah, there's not a good solution in the market right now, and it's mm. a big pain point. Um, Part of it is uh, the data, part of it is the technology, and part of it is how businesses want to share things together. Um, and so um, the way you buy inventory in CTV can be from several different sources, direct from the publisher in a private marketplace platform through some sort of programmatic or real-time bidding where people put uh, publishers put inventory into open exchanges, um, say like the Trade Desk or one of the um, uh, exchanges like run by Google um, and others to, to bid inventory. And it's hard from a brand or agency perspective to know exactly where your spots are going. So if you buy in a programmatic exchange, you're buying audience um, impressions that match on some set of attributes that you've targeted. Uh, and so every time uh, audience segments come up with that set of attributes, the ad gets served. And so does that same ad get served to one person 50,000 times, or does that ad get served once to 50,000 people? Or ideally for a campaign, you know, classically, you want to hit with a frequency of at least three in a seven-day period, say. And in some categories, like in political, they want to hammer that message into you. They may oh, want yeah. a frequency of 10. And, you know, oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and in an period. hour. Yeah, yeah, I've been right, on exactly. stations like here's that, right? Candidate. Here's here's my position. You know, vote for her, please. Uh, so that frequency capping and um, non-duplication and even separation. Like, I don't want to have uh, a Ford ad run right after a Toyota ad. I want to have some. Those tools that are familiar and linear um, are still being evolved in CTV. So um, doing frequency and reach calculations with the data and the technology. And even more important, doing frequency capping. You know, we don't like it when we see the same ad every single pod. We like it even less when we see the same ad three times in the same pod. It's um, getting better, but that's kind of the state of the industry. So the, the short answer to your question is, gee, I wish I had a good answer. Yeah, that's a uh, very very true what you're saying. And even as a user of CTV myself, you know, when I'm when I'm watching. I am often frustrated by, I'm like, oh, I've seen this ad 47 times. And then I'm reminded, I'm like, oh, there's just not a lot of uh, demand yet. I, that's what I'm assuming. There aren't other spots to be served up um, or within, you know, the target demo that I am in. Um, and, and that frustrates me. Um, and one of the other things that I have to ask you about, because this just confuses me and we get asked this a lot as well. Before you talked about um, emerging categories and spending that's up and broadcasting you said was up about 62% in terms of their spend on OTT. And sometimes when I'm watching OTT or CTV, um, as you just told me, that's what I should say when I'm watching my television screen. <laughs> you I can say anything seeing, you want, Nicole. <laughs> oh, thanks. But I keep seeing ads for like, I'm watching over the air television and they're telling me to go watch OTT. And in my mind, I'm like, that's insane. Like, don't you have to share those revenue dollars? If I'm watching the same content on OTT versus over the air, I would think that they would prefer I'd rather watch on over the air because then they keep all those dollars as opposed to OTT. There's some middleman making money off of this. So I'm just shocked to see 
over the air promoting CTV, OTT. So what's going on there? Why is that happening? Why are they promoting this uh, competitive platform? Well, uh, first of all, um, it's ad revenue, <laughs> for one thing. Uh, for, for, for a second thing, I mean, they may be promoting their own services, too. <clears throat> uh, to be watched over CTV, you know, broadcast groups now have streaming services, um, new news and other kinds of offers, uh, sports um, that they make available over CTV. So, you know, it could be their own um, branded uh, CTV services that they're promoting. But it's also, I mean, uh, you know, uh, one of the big categories in, in TV um, ad spending is uh, theaters, you know, movie theaters. It's like, mm-hmm. why, why would I promote movie theaters? I want them home watching TV. It's like, there's a lot of money in that category. And as the services grow, they want to have a lot of tune-in advertising. Come watch this program. And to the extent it's a SFOD subscription video on demand, great. You know, the outcome they want to see is more subscriptions. Um, and another outcome for the ad-supported um either in part or in whole, yeah, come watch it because the more views we get, the more advertising revenue we get. Uh, but it's up, you know, uh, advertise, uh, broadcasters can decide what advertising to take or not. Um, and in some cases, it's a big and growing category and hard to ignore. And can you talk a little bit about some of these independent broadcasters? How do they even wind up on some of these platforms? I, I just, you know, where do some of these partnerships come from or why does it make sense? Why does it not make sense to be an independent broadcaster? Do you want to join every streaming platform or just certain ones? What's your thought and recommendation around that? Yeah, so it comes down to kind of classic um, channel management. Um, you have uh, a product. Uh, how many different channels do you want to distribute it through? How much exposure do you want to have? Do you want to have some exclusivity to it? And particularly for broadcasters, they can go directly to consumers, uh, you know, come to uh, mytvstation.com and, and and watch our stuff, watch our news, uh, or um, you can be aggregated into a bigger bundle um, in whole or part. Uh, and, you know, you can only promote so much and your content may be designed for your market and may have broader appeal, but, you know, how much, how much strength does your marketing ha- arm have versus partnering with another program aggregator that can make you be a program service and a broader offer and uh, promote that even more. So, it's a decision as to how broadly and widely your content has appeal and how do you want to go to market on your own or with an aggregation partner that can amplify your own marketing efforts, get more content, get more viewers, and therefore get more advertising revenue. And for broadcasters, it's, um, you know, one of the models now is for broadcasting, it's been great. For years, they had just advertising as a revenue source. Then they developed retransmission or subscriber fees as a revenue source with uh, MVPDs. And now, with this over-the-top connected TV segment of the market growing so fast, there's been the um, um, evolution of these entities, virtual MVPDs uh, like mm-hmm. Fubo or um, YouTube TV or Hulu Live that um, they're basically cable offers. They aggregate a bunch of content, uh, their own premium content. And then since live local TV stations are so powerful, it's like, well, we can stream those too. So those become live linear channels um, in a package. So broadcast can get to some consumers directly over the air to antennas. They can get to some viewers um, through MVPDs, but as there's cord cutting and more fragmentation in the audience, um, that becomes a little bit more challenging path uh, to get to market. And this new channel is virtual MVPDs. And yeah, I mean, if they're signing up subscribers and they're showing content, I want my station to be there. 
And, you know, the, the rating services measure those audiences. I get credit for it and I can monetize it in advertising sales. Yeah, it seems a little similar to the early days of streaming on the radio side, too, where there were a lot of those aggregating apps, if you will, that were um, right. bringing together those streams. And yeah, sure, I'll be part of that. I'll be part of like, you know, especially as an independent station, I may as well be available where the people are, you know, where they're demanding if people are looking in there. It makes a lot yeah. of sense. Yep. Inevitably, that's the way markets organize. Right. Um, so let's switch back over to sales for a little bit, because another question that comes up a lot is who exactly is selling these OTT spots? Um, do these providers, do they have local advertising dollars uh, that they're going after? I mean, I can't imagine they have teams in every single one of the 210, you know, DMAs like that Nielsen is monitoring. Of course not. Um, so how exactly is this inventory being sold? And as the dollars are shifting from national to local, how is that affecting the space? Um, and yeah, talk a little bit about who's who's selling this stuff and how you see that evolving over time. Sure. So the way the market is um, sorting itself out is, yeah, there are feet on the street and particularly local TV station sellers will add CTV offers into their portfolio of solutions for their um, advertising clients. And so they can sell their own stations, streaming assets, um, but they can also sell um, other assets. So, for example, Tegna and Gray have a deal. Um, Tegna's uh, unit, Premion, um, aggregates inventory and sells that to aggregate inventory, meaning impressions or access to audiences from, I think it's over 130 networks. So premium kind of creates that aggregating function. And then there's inventory that can be sold to the national market or the local market <clears throat> who actually sells that. Could be premium, but it's also Tegna's um, local TV sellers. And with a partnership and partial ownership, <clears throat> Gray will do that with their local sellers too. So they have local feet on the street. Incredibly powerful to sell into what sometimes people call local, local, or local regional uh, businesses. And then to sell into national markets that want to have some localization investment in their media activation plans um, that can be bought um, through uh, centralized sales force or through these sellers or through rep firms um, that, that exist in, a, in the TV market. <clears throat> That's one way to do it. Another way to do it is um, uh, uh, programmatically or mm. you know, uh, real-time bidding. So a certain amount of inventory goes to the open internet or through one of the exchanges. And okay, so let's say we have, uh, I'll make this up, we have uh, 10, 10 hours of content that we wanna sell. Well. For those hours or premium content, and we can get the best price with direct people selling, yeah. direct selling. Um, some of the other content, um, you know, we don't know where their demand is. It's kind of hard to get to. We'll put that on the eBay of CTV and right. let people bid for it. So if you want to buy a spot, you know, bid for it. If you win it, you win it. That's incredibly sophisticated technologically. There's something on the order of 10 million um, bids, uh, impression opportunities that come up every second. Wow. And uh, the winner has to uh, score that impression in terms of the audience target they're trying to reach and decide what to bid um, and serve an ad all within 100 milliseconds. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's unbelievable part of it. So real-time bidding is I'm going to allocate some of my budget to getting that content. Uh, I have no idea what the content is uh, reliably yeah. sometimes, but I know I'm getting exactly to my audience target uh, that I want to hit. And then a third way is um, – private marketplace platforms where you can do publisher direct deals. 
So there's a so there's some content that I want to go to Disney, say, or Netflix or Hulu. It's like <clears throat> I want to buy spots and I want to buy it in your best content. And that's not going to be available typically on the open exchanges. You do um, a right. direct deal with the publisher and um, you get the best value if you're an advertiser and you get the best price if you're a publisher. So feet on the street, um, open exchanges, uh, programmatic real-time bidding and private marketplace exchanges are the three main ways. And so you did talk about pricing a little bit there. So um, part of me is thinking programmatic must be the cheapest, but you don't necessarily, as you said, you know, get exactly what you want. But you you also alluded to buying direct uh, would be the best rates and everything. Can you talk a little bit more about what makes it so uh, preferable, if you will, for an advertiser to go and directly to the content producer, the content distributor and buy the ads from them? Yeah, um, in terms of what's cheaper or more expensive, um, that is not a straight line. Uh, so, for example, in some cases, potentially a programmatic buy may be more expensive than a direct buy. Um, and that can happen in a scenario like this. I have very sophisticated targeting I want to do, like a, a political campaign. Um, I was speaking to somebody in the media sell side. Um, They're dealing with a media um, consultant buying for their can- for their candidate. Uh, they had six layers of targeting that they wanted to do. Uh, and so the the more targeting layers you add on, the more expensive those CPMs become. So even in the open exchange with enough targeting, every time you add layer targeting, the price goes up because that becomes a scarcer commodity, more valuable. Uh, so even a programmatic direct deal um, may be cheaper uh, than than a, a open uh, RTB bid. Hmm. It, it depends on, on some different variables. The other thing, too, is if you go direct, you think, well, there's there's less middle people in, in, in the mix. And so uh, I don't have to spread the margin around. So my price of the buyer is cheaper. Um, not necessarily. The uh, publisher will charge a, a premium price for premium content, as they should. And even though there are less hands in that business transaction, um, it's still going to be a good price. Now, you go to the open exchanges, the programmatic RTB marketplace, um, it um, it's, isn't necessarily cheaper. Um, publishers may decide they can make less off that inventory, so they put it in there. It's still premium video inventory. Somebody wants it, and they're willing to pay a price for it. Um, but if you buy it through uh, one of these aggregators or through an agency or some entity that specializes in CTV planning and activation, they, they're providing high-value added services. And so that goes into the, into the pricing, too. So it might be a, you know, $10 CPM may go back to the to the customer as a $15 CPM. It's like, why am I paying $5 more for data services, for planning services, for activation services, and for campaign optimization services? None of those you got to do on your own. Someone has to earn a living to do that. Wow. That makes a lot of sense. And it's leading me, uh, you're talking about all of this information and it's leading me to the measurement questions because that's always what comes right next when we're talking about CTV and OTV, OTT. So measurement, are most OTT sellers trying to target by using this third party data like cookies, IP addresses and whatnot? I mean, cause in, in the past I've just always thought of those things as being wildly inaccurate um, and not very good. But you were just talking about how great CTV is at targeting. So can you talk a little bit about how they do it so well and um, if that makes a lot of sense? 
Sure. Um, also an emerging area. So there are some challenges, but it keeps getting better. Um, cookies don't really apply that much in um, CTV. That's sort of a browser-based um, technology. We drop a little uh -huh. JavaScript on a web page. Um, the menuing systems, the interface systems may be browser-based, but the actual TV content itself um, isn't, isn't really. Um, there's other ways to target it, uh, watermarks, audio, video watermarks, things mm -hmm. like that. So <clears throat> what... Um, and here, here it gets into the technology and the business relationships. So I create video and I put it to the internet and somehow it ends up on somebody's TV set. There's a lot of different pathways to get there. It can go through media gateway services. It can go through game players. It can go through MVPD set-top boxes. It can go through uh, you know wireless 5G routers. So it's like all different things. And every time uh, an IP stream hits some device, it's somebody else's business model. Uh, so you're renting that MVPD set-top box right. or, um, you know, all the different devices have, have a role in it and they collect data. You know, that's their first-party data. Whatever happens in my box or my app, that's my first-party data. And, and I'm not going to give it to you or I'm going to give it to you, but I'm going to charge you money for it. Um, and so that's that becomes a little bit problem, problematical to understand that data, get it clean so it all matches. It's like, are we talking a household level? Are we talking a user level? And like you're saying, are we talking from the IP address? I can resolve that down to a near residential address. <clears throat> and then through what's called deterministic or um, probabilistic methods, I can say, okay, this is probably Nicole's um, TV set because of the 15,000 different things I've looked at, I've triangulated it, and only her mobile phone comes back and forth every day. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, only her TV set is matched to whatever all the characteristics. So, but then we push the boundaries of privacy laws, and right. uh, some media companies are getting pretty um, uh, risk averse there. Um, there's mm -hmm. big penalties to be paid if you violate that. So. Um, the targeting is a, is a frontierish kind of thing. Um, there's opt-in. Uh, yes, you can have my data. Uh, then there's uh, opt-out, which is a little bit less friendly to regulators these days. Um, they want people to opt-in. So that there's a lot of first-party data that can be collected. How much of that can be shared? How much of that can be actionalized? That's business policy and technology relationships developing. Um, ideal, and there's been an issue. So I turn on my streaming um, TV provider yeah. on my on my um, box, yeah. and then I turn the TV set off and go do something else. Right. Well, I haven't turned off the box. It's still serving an IP stream to the TV set. The TV set's off, uh, but you know the measurement doesn't know that, and so the advertiser gets charged for serving all these spots to a TV set that's turned off. There was an industry study that showed that was a fairly sizable issue. So what, what um, advertisers and agencies want to see is uh, what's called um, uh, glass level data or, or mm -hmm. what's actually being displayed on the TV set. If the TV sets off, the answer is nothing. So I'm not going to pay for any ads being served to a TV set turned off. If the TV's turned on, that's great. Tell me more about that TV set. Uh, and then that's the first part of the data that gets collected. So generally, there's, there's a lot of different data flows, uh, data creation that have different value sets, um, but we have to cross business, technology, and policy um, boundaries to, to be able to fully utilize it. It's very promising and the ability to target is amazing. And right. so there's gonna be a lot of energy towards creating effective solutions. Some exist today, but it's gonna get better probably.
I think the targeting is so exciting. I mean, I think it's better for consumers and it's better for advertisers on both sides. There seems to be more demand among consumers as well. They want more targeted ads. You know, they are uh, they seem in general um, attitudes are uh, less negative towards targeted ads that make sense for them as opposed to general. So that, you know, the industry moving in that direction makes a lot of sense. Um, what you were just talking about. So you're telling me that my fire stick knows if the TV is on or off. That's really interesting, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, it it, uh, it should, but oftentimes, you know, there, there may be a lag. So right. um, there may be a timeout, you know, kind of routine built into it. Um, but but some of these devices will keep serving streams through the HDMI gateway or whatever they're using, um, and, and it takes a while to, to kind of hear back. Oh, by the way, we've been turned off for a while. <laughs> right. Wow. Wow. Um, and so with this entire conversation, one thing I will say is uh, your enthusiasm. I mean, every time you and I have a conversation about OTT and CTV, I, I just feel your energy and I love it. And it's super exciting. The, the space is very exciting. Um, but then, of course, I always have to come with my little pessimistic angle and I'm like, wait a minute. Haven't we been here before? I feel like I've heard this this song before. I mean, this is just so reminiscent of the dot com bubble and burst. Is that where we're headed? There are so many people playing in this space. There is so much going on here and all this growth, growth on growth. Um, and I guess my concern is, is, is that what we're headed for? Are we headed for another bubble bursting? Or is there going to be a shakeout and consolidation of all of these OTT providers? And if so, who do you think is going to win this war? Um the big publishers, certainly, um, Netflix, Amazon, um, you know, Paramount, Disney, uh, th those kind of companies uh, tend to, um, well, not so much Netflix and Amazon, but traditional media companies tend to change slower than, you know, where the leading edge of the market is. Mm -hmm. And it's the Netflixes and the Amazons that oftentimes create the leading edge of the market. But those, those are brands, I mean, content producers, they can put... 10, 15, 20, 30 billions of dollars into content. I mean, that that's going to be huge in a CTV space. Um, and there's not many companies that can afford to perform at that level. And even those that are doing it now, like in 2022, 2023, there's all that content, original content and licensed content that's driving losses to the bottom line. So there, there's a bet that the growth will happen in the future to recover that content investment and then some, you know, hopefully uh, a lot more. So, you know, you have to have a certain scale in terms of content uh, to be mm -hmm. a, a long-term player in this. And then um, if you're using an advertising supported model, you have to have um, a go-to-market strategy to, to, like you were talking about earlier, generate that revenue. Uh, there's, you know, hundreds of national advertisers. That's a relatively, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's a relatively easier part of the market to target. Um, you know, I know the players, I know their budgets, I know what they want. Um, so you get to a certain scale there, it gets very competitive. But then in local where BIA and, and you know, our, our part of the market lives, um, it's longer tail compared to nationals. There's a lot more advertisers. In the aggregate, there's a lot more spend. Um, that's what people need to organize. So it's a content strategy uh, for advertising. It's like, how do we harvest those advertising opportunities from the publisher side and from the agency and advertiser side? How do I get to those consumers? Because I'm not getting to them all just with my national buys. How do I effectively use um, local um, CTV? So that that's kind of an emerging space too. And as with any segment of an industry that's evolving, it's like Cambrian. <laughs> Um, there's a lot of startups. Everyone's trying oh, yeah. different ideas. 
uh, especially when it's capital uh, freely available uh, for for uh, funding these innovators. We have a thousand players uh, in the industry that will eventually have 10 and four that maybe are consequential. Pharma, auto, um, you know, pick an industry. That's just the way the market capital markets organize themselves. So for now, we have a lot of players, hundreds and hundreds of fast, free ad supported streaming TV players uh, out there. They're going to get aggregated as they have been, and some will exit, um, and then some will spin off and do something else that's really cool. And we'll be saying, why don't we think of that? And honestly, I'm looking forward to that because uh, from a personal user perspective, again, there are, I'm just, I'm so fragmented. I'm in so many places. I mean, there are <laughs> too many platforms that I'm watching one show on and I get aggravated every time. I'm like, well, I want to watch this show. I have to watch this show. So I have to be on this tiny little platform I've never heard of before. Um, that's showing me the same ad 47 times, because like you said, that's the one piece of content they probably have um, that's in demand. And so I am watching it because I want to, but I look forward to the day where, you know, the content side is aggregated as well um, into uh, fewer buckets than, you know, the 15 services that I have to remember to go through for all the content I'm trying to consume. Exactly. We, we have colonies on Mars before that day happens, Nicole. I'm sorry wow. to say, but you heard the day's coming. <laughs> We're colonizing Mars. That's okay, right. Rick, one more question. And uh, yeah. honestly, this one's a little dicey because we're going to talk about fraud. So ad fraud is a problem and it has been a problem. And um, and can you talk a little bit about the best practices in local OTT to avoid ad fraud? Um, first of all, is blockchain a solution? And while you're at it, what is blockchain? Can you kind of tell us what that's all about? And what about fraud with bidding? How do you protect it in the open market? Uh, I remember that 20 to 30 percent fraud was just kind of standard. Is that still the case? Yes, basically, yes. Mm -hmm. um, um, fraud is uh, perpetrated by typical, well, it can be, you know, uh, most fraud impact is generated by some incredibly sophisticated fraudsters, if you will. And mm -hmm. they'll go where the money is. So the uh, display market and digital, lots of money being generated. And so fraudsters are, are attracted to that part of the market. They didn't really care about video because, you know, at first it was kind of small and a bit quizzical to figure out. Um, CTV was a little bit more protected than maybe uh, open programmatic RTB marketplaces. Uh, but now it's, it's becoming targeted by fraudsters because as it's your fault, Nicole, you're telling us how much money is in CTV. And the fraudsters like say, what? There's money over there? So they come up with schemes and technologies um, to, to get that, to get that revenue. Uh, and um, it could be that they put themselves up and say, I'm premium video provider, you know, uh, Acme, and uh, I'm serving all of these impressions and I can take your ads and serve it to all the people exactly like you want. And they can set up you know, spoof farms of TV sets that aren't really TV sets, the virtual TV sets. Gotcha. And they just, you know, generate fake viewing and um, fake reports on spots and so on. Mm. So that can happen. Um, blockchain to deal with that part of it, you know, can be a solution. Um, you know, essentially blockchain is an open um, set of books uh, of transactions that uh, has some confidentiality, highly secured, encrypted, but it's like you can look at that book of transactions. If I paid for this ad to run in a certain place, um, everybody can go look and see what happened. So there's transparency mm. in terms of ad or content or you know anything, NFTs, cars, whatever whatever it is. So it's just sort of an 
open non-centralized database that everybody can um, look at and you have to have certain credentials to transact in it. That, that could have a role um, uh, and it is in media. It, that role is being refined a bit. Uh, but generally for, for fraud, I mean, what, what um, publishers are doing is help, you know, um, raise the white flag. Um, we need the fraudsters are smart. They're very well equipped. And they're taking a lot of money from advertisers um, uh, for themselves that we should get uh, if we serve our ads. But the fraudsters are kind of in a way. <clears throat> so there's services like uh, IAS or Double Verify, companies like that, that um, specialize in looking at patterns to say that looks like fraud. Um so don't mm. pay for it. And it helps both the sell side and buy side, you know, reduce the magnitude of the problem. But it's an arms race. As soon as someone figures out a way, I got how that fraudulent scheme works and we're going to lock it down. Then the fraudsters come up with three more ways um, to get into the money room. So it's a continuing arm race and the fraudsters are incredibly sophisticated. And it's a lot of them and are very you know, active to try to break through the money walls. But these services are becoming ever more sophisticated at detecting and shutting them down, and in some cases of uh, preventing them, you know, uh, more and more in the first place, so they never get in. Wow, I love that. That sounds just like my credit card. Like, oh, this might not be real. This might not be what you think. And you know, those little alerts. That would be great for the exactly. buying side of like, I don't think you got what you think you got. You know, that, right. that's kind of neat. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Rick, thank you. With so much going on in OTT and CTV, this was such an important conversation for us to have. And I truly appreciate your analysis, your insightfulness, and, and just hearing you think and everything about this space. Obviously, this is very important for us and for everything going on in, in our world, which is why our team is constantly watching, assessing, and always updating our estimates for OTT, along with 15 other media channels for our local advertising forecast. So for our listeners out there, if you're a BIA Advantage client, we encourage you to go into Advantage and track OTT in your local market or markets across all the business verticals to uncover opportunities. Let us know what questions you have. Our team is here to help. And if you're not a client yet, we encourage you to learn more about how BIA is covering OTT. Whether you're an OTT company or from a broadcasting world, we can help you assess the local opportunities around OTT. To reach us, send an email to info at BIA.com with the subject, tell me more about your OTT, and I promise we'll get back to you right away. Additionally, you can purchase our OTT forecast for your local market by going to our shopping cart. Just head over to shop.bia.com. Lastly, everyone out there listening, thank you for joining us today for this edition of BIA's Leading Local Insights podcast. It has been a pleasure covering all things OTT with Rick Ducey today, and I can assure you we will continue to be all over this topic and this space as it continues to evolve and grow in new ways. Stay tuned and have a great day.